Lord, as our God Chasers ministry meets this morning, we pray that our young children would be so impacted by their lessons and the fun time that they have in our God Chasers ministry that they would fall deeply in love with you and never, ever walk away from you. And they would, Lord, start to position themselves to know that you are for them and not against them, that you can use them in their schools, you can use them in their families, and as they grow up and influence their world, that you can change this world because of your influence upon them. And we pray that in Jesus' mighty name this morning. We are... uh, at the last installment of the series I've been doing on overcoming our fears. This is part 10 of a 10-part series, which stands to reason that if it's the last part, it's going to be part 10 of 10, because I know that you're all brainiacs, and you're just switched on, and you, you understand that. It's really good. This, this whole series started out because I wanted to challenge mindsets and belief systems within each and every one of us, and thought patterns that more aligned us with the world than actually with God's word and and what he says about the fears that we have. And I laid a foundation at the very first session talking about the ABCs of our fears. The A is simply that we accept that Christ loves us. The B is to believe that Christ died and rose again for me personally. And the C is to commit all of our fears and our lives to Christ from that point onwards. And if we'll do that and have that as a foundation, we can start to build something that we can go through life where we don't have to fear things in our world. If we do fear things, then we can start to challenge those mindsets, those belief systems within us and ask us, where has this fear come from? Why am I going through life with this fear in my life? And how do I address it? How do I come out of this fear so that I can start to live my life fully as Christ wants me to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I've said right throughout this series, there are resources I can make available to you, whether it's a Bible study or put you in touch with people to help you in uh, overcoming some of those fears. So welcome to part 10, the final part of our Overcoming Our Fears series. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Everyone say punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love, the scripture says. One of the things that Jane and I love to do is to actually go away on holidays. We love to go away on trips. We just really enjoy that. And I'm sure that most of us here would enjoy that same sort of thing. And probably like us, uh, you, when you've come time to pack, have overpacked like massively. You know, you're going to go away for four days and you've got seven T-shirts, 18 shirts, 16 pairs of trousers, multiple pairs of shoes. And like, you know, you're massively overpacked when you come time to go away. So when you get there, you come back, you're thinking, you know, what a great trip. I've got hardly any washing I've got to do because you haven't worn half the stuff anyway. You know, you've taken it away. It's taken up room in your, in your suitcase, room in, your, in your, the boot of your car or wherever it is that you store your, your clothes. You know, some people have a trailer just for their clothes. So, you know, we, we come back and it's, it's all there. We, we're ready to rock, you know. Uh, and some of us, you know, like it's only over the process of time that we've whittled down what we take away with us so that we can get away with the bare minimum and we don't come back smelly. All right, we've got clean clothes when we come back. But, you know, you, you just, you've, you've streamlined things and you've done away with some of the baggage in your life. And that's so much like life, I think, you know. 
We load ourselves up with baggage. We bring baggage from one relationship into another. We bring baggage from one church into the new church that we might go to. We bring the baggage of a bad experience into the next experience that we're going through. We inadvertently, without malice or even in, in intention in, uh, in our hearts, we say and we do things that causes people pain and we carry the regret and the pain becomes baggage to us. We have this regret and that becomes a baggage to us. We carry all this baggage from our past life into our new life with Christ. But praise God, you know, there is good news for us this morning. And it's just like what Brenton said, uh, where there's no, therefore now no condemnation. Romans 8 verses 1 to 2 out of the Passion Translation says, So now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the Anointed One. For the law of the life-giving spirit flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. The case is closed, the, the scripture says. The case is closed. There is no accusing voice of condemnation. God never intended for us to live with the baggage of our lives. This baggage is often the feeling of being wronged or betrayed, hurt, the guilt that we feel when we should have said something or done something or when we didn't do something and we should have and we should have said something but we didn't, we remain silent in that moment. You know, it's all of that stuff that comes upon us. We take it on as baggage and we feel guilty about it. We go on this, like, you know, talk about holiday, we go on a guilt trip. That's one trip that I don't want you to take this morning. I don't want you to go on a guilt trip. Any trip we should take should be a great experience, but not a guilt trip. So we carry this baggage and it creates within so many of us fears. And I believe that God wants to set us free from all of our fears because the, uh, and the guilt that they flow from. That's why I love it when he says the case is closed. There's no accusing voice. Just turn to the person next to you and say, there's no one accusing you. God doesn't accuse you. There's, the case is closed. Romans chapter 3 verse 24 says this, Yet through his powerful declaration, and I love that word declaration, I'm not sure if you're aware of that, De declaration, I think you know, we need to make declarations, but there's a declaration that God makes over us. He says that there's a powerful declaration of acquittal. In other words, not guilty. You, you've been found not, you've been acquitted of all charges. Anything that the enemy tries to throw at you or you try to throw at yourself, God says, you're acquitted. You're not guilty. God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favor now cascades over us, all because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from all guilt, punishment, and the power of sin. You've been liberated this morning. I'm not sure if you knew that. But this morning, you might have come here thinking you're restricted, that you're, you're hemmed in, like I, I felt when my heart, you know, when we're talking during that worship time and, the, and just in the prayer ministry time, you know, we feel like we've hemmed in, the enemy's got us surrounded, that we can't survive, we can't breathe even, because we feel so restricted and limited by what the enemy's trying to do. But I want to tell you this morning that God, through Jesus Christ, has liberated us from all those things. So we're wrapping up this whole series on overcoming our fears by looking at the often overlooked cause of fear. 
The Bible says that there are many, many of our fears are rooted, have their basis in guilt. 1 John 4.18 says that perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. We've got this thing about us where we, we think that, you know, uh, we, we, we got this guilt about us because we, we, we deserve punishment and stuff. The Phillips translation says fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. Because feeling guilty is like torture. We, we torture ourselves. I don't know if you've never noticed that. You do something wrong and you're your worst enemy. I mean, like, who needs a devil when we've got us on our case? Maybe you're not making this connection. There are many fears that are caused by guilt. The fear that we'll be found out and that no one will like us. The fear that someone will retaliate for what we've done. The fear that God is going to judge us. That's why people don't want to die. They're not ready to make their, meet their maker because of guilt in their life. The good news is that we don't have to go on this guilt trip carrying all this baggage. We're going to briefly summarize our Overcoming Fear series by looking at three things this morning. We're going to look at what we usually do with our guilt. We're going to look at what we should do with our guilt. And we're going to see what God does with our guilt. Does that sound like anything this morning? Three people, fantastic. That's good. Excellent. Cool. Okay, so the first thing, what we usually do with our guilt. This is what we historically do. We've seen this in ourselves. I'm sure that you'll recognize yourself. You'll certainly recognize me in this. So let's just look at this. The first thing that we do, the coping mechanisms we have in normally dealing with our guilt, the first thing we do is we bury it. We bury our guilt. Okay? Have you ever heard someone say, well, you need to go, you've got to bury your past. There's only one problem with that. It doesn't work. It's like a, a, a resurrection from a horror movie. You see the stuff coming up out of the ground and you know, all of our fears keep coming back to haunt us. This guilt keeps coming back to, to haunt us all the time. You know, it just comes out of the ground. These guilty feelings keep coming back at us. They overwhelm us again and again. And when we, we bury them, they, they come alive and they keep coming back. We all have a favorite way of burying our guilt. Some, some people minimize it, okay? We say, well, it's no big deal. Well, if it's no big deal, how come it still bothers you? How come you still remember it after 20 years? See, some people rationalize this. We say, you know, it, it's, it, everybody's done it. But that doesn't make it right, you know? We find someone who's, who's worse off than we are. We say, well, I'm better than Hitler. <laughs> See, rationalize. You ever, do you know what rationalize, rationalize means? It means rational lies. You ever thought about that? Rational lies. What, what, rationalize means that we're uh, uh, telling um, ourselves in our mind what we know isn't true in our hearts. We're trying to convince up here, but down here in our heart, you can't fool that. You can try and tell this stuff up here, everything you like to, to, to try and believe a lie and stuff, but down here where Jesus lives in your heart, you can't fool that. 
Some people compromise with it. We feel about, bad about what we've done, so we lower our standards so we don't feel so guilty. Uh, trouble is that when we do that enough, we compromise our values and our integrity. See, if it doesn't bother us anymore, it's called a seared conscience. We've seared our conscience. We've, we've got our, our conscience has got so that uh, we've built up calluses on our heart, on our conscience, that part of us that tells us the right and the wrong. We build up this immunity to it. And we you know, build up a, a hardness to it. In Proverbs 28 verse 13, it says, You'll never succeed in life if you try to, to hide your sins. Why? Because it's going to catch up with us sooner or later, especially in today's society. Media go into a frenzy on some stuff. Somewhere, somehow, people get caught out. So trying to bury our, our guilt wastes a huge amount of emotional energy. I love what David says in Psalm 32. He says, I wouldn't admit my guilt but my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. My strength evaporated until I finally admitted all my sins and stopped trying to hide from them. See, our second coping mechanism. Ready for this? Our first one was burying it. Second one is we blame others. This, is, this has happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam says, says to God, it's your fault. You gave me the woman. She brought the apple. I ate it, but it's your fault. <laughs> you know, like God, it's not my fault. It's yours. And people have been doing it ever since. We're, when we're blaming, we're not accepting responsibility. Today, we're great at excusing ourselves and accusing others. It's not my fault. I may have done something horrible, but it was because when I was three years old, my mum took my lollipop from me, and ever since then, I've had these repressed feelings, and that's why I blew up the building. I can't help it. We always blame others, and it just doesn't work. We often blame others to balance out our guilt. Have you ever noticed that? In our mind, there's this balancing act going on inside of us. On the one side is, is guilt, and on the other side is blame. So when people say to themselves, I feel guilty over, this, over something, then they point out the faults and the failures of others by saying, but you did. So we balance it out. As if it negates or it, uh, it, it, it deletes what we've done, we try to balance out our guilt, and it just doesn't work. Sometimes we blame God too. Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, People's own foolishness ruins their lives. Don't you love the word of God? You know, it just shoots you straight between the eyes. Maybe I'm the only one, okay? But in their minds, they blame God. They say, God, why are you allowing this? Well, it's not God's fault. Just maybe, just maybe, the poor choices of life that we've made have had a little bit to contribute to where we're at. The third coping mechanism that we have is that we beat ourselves up over our guilt. We beat ourselves up over our guilt. When we beat ourselves up, we're taking it out on ourselves. We self-administer punishment subconsciously saying, I did wrong and I deserve to pay for it. 
Can a guilty conscience make us sick? Yes, it can. Okay? It's where our body takes over and tries to prove that we are going to pay for this. A study was shown that over 50% of the people in two different hospitals that they studied could have been released, completely healed, if they'd learned how to deal with their guilt and that their illnesses were actually related to the guilty feelings that they had. That's, that's eye-opening. It gives you the power that we can give to guilt if we allow it. Can a guilty conscience make us depressed? Absolutely. Depression is often a way of atonement. I did wrong, therefore I should punish myself. Can a guilty conscience cause us to set ourselves up for failure? Absolutely. We're working hard consciously, but unconsciously we're thinking, I don't deserve to succeed, I don't deserve this promotion. So we self-sabotage our own feelings, our own journey. Listen to how David felt. He says in Psalm 38, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and brought low. All day long I go about mourning. See, there's a real problem with this particular way that we historically cope with our guilt. See, we, we start to beat ourselves up, but our conscience doesn't know when to stop. It doesn't know when enough is enough. And that we've beaten ourselves up for 20 years over something that happened so long ago. It doesn't know when to stop. We don't know when to stop. We've got a secret shame that we've held in our heart. And we keep thinking every time that something goes wrong in our lives. I deserve this. This is God getting back at me. But I want to tell you this morning there's a better way. Praise God there's a greater way. There's one person excited about there's a one. Praise God. So what should we do with our guilt? Great question. We know what we've done with our guilt in the past, how we've lived with it, but what should we do with our guilt this morning? Well, the Bible tells us how to stop this guilt trip, I can tell you now. He said, the Bible tells us how to unload some of this baggage that we have in our life. There's no reason that we should leave here today with a guilty conscience if we take the steps that God says that we can take. They're simple to understand, but I want to tell you now that they are not easy. They are simple to understand, but they are confronting and difficult for us to do. They are not easy for us to do. You ready for that this morning? Here, I want to help set people free this morning. This is my heart. This is why I want to tell you this message this morning, because I believe that people will be set free as I start to talk about this. That people have been hanging on to guilt for too long, and it's, it's, today we draw a line in the sand. We're going to deal with guilt this morning. So this is how we should deal with our guilt. Number one, we need to admit it. You need to admit your guilt. I need to admit my guilt. We don't minimize it. We don't bury it, ignore it, push it down or deny it. We simply own up to it. We admit it. Proverbs 20 verse 27 says, The Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. Sometimes people try to get rid of their guilt by running from it. We try it so many different ways. You know, some people become workaholics. You know, some people uh, turn to drugs and alcohol. We're going on holiday even. We do this stuff to try and get away from our guilt. The problem with all of that is that wherever we go, our conscience goes with us. It says in 1 John 1 9, if we say that we haven't sinned, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're lying to ourselves if we don't admit the things that we've done wrong. 
If we're serious about living guilt-free, then here's some homework for us today. You might find this helpful if you want to write this down, or I know that you're all going to hit the uh, iTunes site, you're going to download the podcast, you're going to make your notes there, you're going to draw pictures, comic book, great. Here's some homework. This is, this is how we're going to start to work on admitting our guilt, okay? Just create some space, get alone with a pen and a paper. Find a place where you're not going to be distracted and where you're not going to be disturbed. Okay, Then ask God to bring to mind every conscious and unconscious thing that you feel guilty about and write it down. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 40 says, Let us examine our ways and test them. Do a spiritual inventory of our life so that we can get a clear conscience. Write down all the things that you feel guilty about. I tried this. I was there for a week. I had a lot I felt guilty about. Okay, I'm just messing about, but it takes a time. Take some time. You might ask this morning, why do I need to write it down? The answer is very simple. Writing down what we, we, we have come to our mind forces us to be specific. Thoughts disentangle themselves when they pass through the lips and the fingertips. We, start, we, we get specific. It's like in, in this month of June... I'm actually uh, doing 100 declarations over my life a day and I bought a clicker, a counter clicker because I wanted to be deliberate about knowing how many declarations I was making a day so, and I wanted the, 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 the power of that declaration to be cemented in so every time I make a declaration at the end of the declaration, click, that's one. I'm a child of God, two. I'm loved by Jesus, three. We get deliberate, we get specific. This is what happens when we write stuff down. We get deliberate, we get specific. Okay? If I can say it and write it, then I've really thought about it. It forces me to be specific. We admit our guilt to God. Then, number two, we accept responsibility for it. First of all, we admit it. We then accept responsibility for it. This is more than just admitting it. It's saying, this really was my fault. This is what I wanted to do. I wanted to do that, and I did it. We don't rationalize. We don't blame anybody else. It may have been 90% someone else's fault, but you need to deal with the 10% that was your fault. The 90% that they need to deal with, they need to deal with. It's not up to you to help them to deal with it. Like it's not their responsibility to help you deal with the 10% that you feel. You have got to do this and own up to it. You've got to take responsibility for whatever it is. Is this helping anyone? Excellent. I'm in the right church today. Praise God. So here's an example from the Bible. Okay, One day, King David is in his palace. He sees a woman who's bathing nude on the top of another roof in a different part of the city. He sees her. He has lustful thoughts. He brings her to his palace and he commits adultery with her. Then he has her husband murdered because this woman gets pregnant and, and David doesn't want to have to admit it. Did he feel guilty? Yes. Listen to what David says. In Psalm 51 verse 3 he says, I recognize my faults. I am conscious of my sins. 
David doesn't blame Bathsheba. He accepts responsibility for it. And until this happens, we're never going to have that relief from the guilt that we feel. What's the best way to accept responsibility and ensure that we're accepting responsibility for our guilt? Some of you might find this difficult, but you need to find someone that you could admit your guilt to. You need people to walk in your life that no matter what you say, no matter what you do, they still like you. They still love you. That's the the measure of a true friendship. The measure of true friendship is not having 443 people as friends on Facebook. It's finding that one or two in that 443 friends on Facebook that you could be brutally honest with and say, I did this, I was wrong, can you help me? That is the measure of a true friend. The one that you can actually remove the mask that we all wear and be brutally honest and lay everything out and say, this is what I've done, this is what I've done wrong. Will you be there for me? See, it's in James chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, admit your faults to one another. Why? He says, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is healing when we, we come together with people that we trust and love. God says revealing our feelings is the beginning of healing. Revealing our feelings is the beginning of healing. It's what God says to us. When we uncover ourselves, as it were, before our friends, admit our faults to one another. Why drag another person into it? Well, because of all the, the root, really, of all problems is relational, and that's where the fear comes from. We're dishonest with each other. We wear masks. We play games. We pretend that we have it all together when we don't. We act like we've never sinned before when everybody knows that we have. We pretend that we're perfect when we're not. And because we don't admit that we're human and fallen short, it isolates us from each other. And that causes fear, and that fear comes out of all kinds of different realms. It prevents intimacy, it creates insecurity. And when we say, well, if they only really knew me, then they'd reject me. Give someone a shot. Don't just do it with the church gossip, okay? I mean, be wise about this, okay? But find someone who's a real friend to you. Open up. Create intimacy with people in and around. That's why connect groups are so great in our church. People can be honest in those connect groups. And you can share your hearts with one another. You can find someone that you can be real with. The fact is we're only as sick as our secrets. The more we hide that secret shame, the more it hurts. Everyone in the world needs at least one person in life that they can be totally honest with and know that they're not going to be judged, but they're going to be accepted. That's God's way of freeing us. So the third thing that we need to do is this. We need to ask God to forgive it. So we need to admit it. We need to take responsibility for it. But then we need to say, God, I ask you to forgive me. 1 John 1.9 says, For if we freely admit that we've sinned, we find God utterly reliable 
It forgives our sins and makes us thoroughly clean from all that's evil. Wouldn't we love to be thoroughly clean? To be completely guilt-free? No skeletons in our closet? Nothing coming back trying to resurrect itself like that horror movie? You know, no one can point a finger at us because we've dealt with stuff. God's forgiven us and it's been wiped clean. So how do we ask for forgiveness from God? There's a right way and a wrong way. Okay? The wrong way is where we beg God to forgive us. We don't need to beg God. We, we m- might bargain with God. Well, you know, <laughs> I won't do this anymore if, if, you know, if you'll forgive me. You know? Or we bribe God, you know? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give more in the offering uh, if, if you forgive me, Lord. You know? God's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious. He loves to forgive. And he's more than willing to forgive. All we have to do is ask. So how should we ask? Well, the, the right way is that you just believe. It's by faith. That's how you receive forgiveness. You just simply ask him for it, but then just receive it. It says in Romans 3, 23 to 24, For all of us have sinned, yet God declares us not guilty. If we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his mercy freely forgives and takes away our sin. Yes, sounded like a get-out-of-jail-free card. The most basic truth of Christianity is this, that Jesus Christ paid for my sins on the cross. He simply asked him for forgiveness and accept his forgiveness. Our forgiveness is not based on what we've done. It's based on his grace, his mercy, and his love. We, I don't know what you've done this morning, but I do know what Jesus has done. What he's done is greater than what we've done. What he's done can take care of what we've done. See, have we dealt with our guilt? We've learned that. What should we do with our guilt? We've just done that. What does God do? How does God set us free from our guilt? What what has he done? What does he do with our guilt? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. No matter what we've done, we can be forgiven. No matter what. No matter what. Some of us are saying, well, I ask God to forgive me, but I don't feel forgiven. That's because we don't understand how God forgives. See, we may have been a Christian for a long time. We've confessed all of our sins, but we still feel guilty about them. And if we feel guilty over our sin that we've already confessed, then I want to suggest to you this morning that guilt is not from God. Those feelings are not from God. There's a devil. He doesn't want us to succeed in life. God doesn't want us to feel guilty over the things that we've already confessed. Satan does. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says clearly that God does four things when we admit our sins to him. Number one, God forgives us instantly. Instantly. He doesn't sit there thinking, hmm, hmm. Well, this is a toughie. It it. No, instantly. It says in Isaiah 55 verse 7, God is merciful and quick to forgive. When, when you understand, like, if something says God's quick, 
You better believe he's quick. He invented light, and light's quick. Okay? He, he never makes us wait. When we say, God, please forgive me, it's instant. There's no delay, no waiting period. There's no probation. He forgives. Secondly, God forgives us completely. Completely. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14 says, He has forgiven all your sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it on the cross. When Jesus died for our sins, which one did he die for? All of them. Like Brenton said, you know, like our past, present and future sins. Jesus was nailed to the cross so that we can stop nailing ourselves to the cross. He was hung up for our hang-ups. This stuff just comes to me. I don't know what it is. He forgives us completely. Here's a question. If I was to ask you, like, I've paid some bills this week. After I'd paid those bills, how much more did I worry about that bill? I didn't because it's been paid. I gave it no further thought other than to put the receipt in our receipt folder because we track everything. That's it. Same with God. Cast them into the sea of his forgetfulness, the Bible says. The Bible says he takes our sins and put it into the deepest parts of the ocean and then he puts up a no fishing sign. The trouble is there's some fishing people here. And you go fishing for that sin and you fish around for that guilt and you catch it and it comes back into your world and that's not what God designed it for. God doesn't go fishing for your sins. You might have messed up and you do it at the same time afterwards. And this leads me to my third point. It says God forgives us repeatedly. So he forgives us instantly, he forgives us completely, but he also forgives us repeatedly. We ever committed the same sin twice? I don't know about you, but Jane has. <laughs> you guys look like you needed a laugh. <laughs> no, I have, I have. Good save. Thank you. I have. Do we feel embarrassed about coming back to God and asking Him to forgive something we've already asked forgiveness for once before? You come to Him and say, Lord, you know that thing last week? He said, What thing? I mean, we, we say that flippantly, but there's so much truth in it. God says, Honestly, I don't. What are you talking about? Come on. God doesn't get bored forgiving us over and over either, it's His nature. He's a merciful, forgiving God and loves to forgive. I'm, I'm reminded of in Luke chapter 17 where the, the disciples say, you know, how, long, how often should we forgive our brother? And in essence, what Jesus said to the disciples was that you should never stop forgiving your brother. In essence. Now, if God is asking us to do that, and we find that exceptionally hard, God 
shows the way in that he actually does do that. He repeatedly forgives us. I don't know how many times I've been speeding sometimes. That's just breaking the law. Do I feel guilty about it? No, because I've got a seared conscience. Sadly. Until you get the bill in the post. Then all of a sudden it's not so seared. I should slow down. Romans 8.34 says, Christ is always interceding on our behalf. I praise God that Jesus is in there saying, hey, hey, God, Father, this is a good guy. He's a winner. He's an overcomer. He's victorious. Come on, we can, we can forgive him again and again and again. He's a good kid. You know, he's one of your, here's his photo. Look, you know, I got him in my wallet, you know. Just pulls it out and shows you. Got your paintings on his fridge. It's great. <laughs> Fourthly, he forgives us freely. It's, it's instant, it's complete, it's repeated, and it's free. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, For by the sacrificial death of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God. It's free. It's free. Because of God's grace, his free grace. We'll never be able to earn it or deserve it. It's a free gift of God. It's just the gift of grace. Because we are human being, our greatest need is forgiveness. Oh, I don't know about you, you know. I've made some blunders in my life. I've some absolute clangers. People have been hurt. Family's been hurt. But I love that about God, that you can go to him and say, God, I just ask your forgiveness. It's my fault. This was my fault. Would you forgive me? Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your gift. Thank you that you do it instantly. Thank you, Lord God, that you do it completely. Thank you, Lord God, that you do it repeatedly. And thank you that there, Lord, you've done it freely. This is freely available to me. What is our struggle with? You know, if, if, if I was to say, what's that s- stuff going on in your heart right now? Just as the musos come back, what, what's happening in your world, in your inner world right now? What's, what's going on in, inside you this morning? You know, if I was to ask you what's that secret shame, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? God wants to, 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 to help us to, to freely walk away from that stuff. Psalm 32, verses 1 to 2 says, What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What relief for those who God has cleared their record. What relief for those whom God has cleared their record. How do you spell relief? J-E-S-U-S is how you spell relief. J-E-S. You, for those of you like me, a little bit hard to spell, it's Jesus. Spell relief, Jesus. That's how we spell it. This morning, I don't know where you, what's happening in your world and your inner life. But what I do know that God wants us to be guilt-free. The case is closed, church. Case is closed. The judge's gavel has come down, crack. And he says, not guilty. 
your sin has been paid for. You know, I, I can't understand the love. I, you know, and this is, I guess, why you get to spend eternity with God is because you get to understand more facets of his love and his grace as you go through eternity with him. You discover something new about God in eternity. <clears throat> but the thought that God the Father would send his son to die in my place because he knew that I couldn't do it. There was nothing I could do. There's nothing you can do that is ever going to bridge the gap between God's perfection, his holiness, and our state other than the person of Jesus. He bridges the gap. This morning, would you stand with me? I've given people some homework today. My encouragement to you today is this. Okay, I learned this. Uh, a great man of God that I, I have huge respect for. I love him as a communicator, as a leader in the kingdom of God. I think he's an exceptional leader, exceptional pastor. His name is Bill Hybels. Written some phenomenal books. One of the things that, that he says, and I learned this through the Global Leadership Summit, I know there's one coming up later in the year. He says this, that if you hear something at a conference, a seminar on a Sunday morning, and you don't act on that, that you know that God is saying to you in the first 72 hours, it is unlikely that you will ever act on it. You will come to that same conference or that same moment in time, again later down the track, and unless you've made a decision and you actually put into place a plan to address that, then nothing will have changed when you come back to that point. What do you need to change this morning? What is it the Holy Spirit's put on your heart that you need to address in your world this morning? I don't want to make people feel guilty. What I want to do is to release people from guilt. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence this morning. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Just bring to our mind, Lord, the things that we need to do. Do we need to get aside this week with a pen and paper and just start to write some stuff down so that we can then admit it, that we can take responsibility for it, but then we can ask your forgiveness and know that it is completely dealt with because you've dealt with it by nailing it to a cross, the accusations, the, the condemnation that we feel for with a position that we find. into so What is it we need to do personally, Father? Would you speak to us this morning? Would you touch our hearts in this area? Would you reveal what you're wanting to say to us in this, Lord? Father, speak to us, I pray. Father, I pray against the feelings of condemnation that people felt that this is like a, a condemning message. I ask you, Lord, to lift that off in Jesus' name. I ask you, Lord God, to bring liberty and freedom into people's hearts and lives. Father, I thank you for your people today. I thank you for the blessing that they are. I thank you for the encouragement that they are. Help us to deal with these feelings, not to bury our guilt anymore, not to minimize it, not to blame others, but to deal with it, that we can walk free in our world and know that we're completely free because you completely set us free. You don't do it partially. In Jesus' name I pray. Just as everyone, head 
bowed, eye closed. I don't know everybody here this morning. I don't know who